0: Hello and welcome to Accent of Women, a show fine about women from diverse cultures and languages right across the world. I'm Giselle Hanna. Last week, I brought you part one of Accent of Women's discussion about the Black Lives Matter movement. I spoke with socialist activist Robin Wansley from the Minneapolis chapter of BLM, and this week we'll conclude with part two. Directly from their website, Black Lives Matter was created in 2012 after Trayvon Martin's murderer, George Zimmerman, was acquitted for his crime and dead 17-year-old Trayvon was posthumously placed on trial for his own murder. Rooted in the experiences of black people in the United States who actively resist their dehumanisation, Black Lives Matter is a call to action and a response to the virulent anti-black racism that permeates society. We pick up here directly from last week, when Robin is in the middle of talking about the police repression against protesters defending black lives and speaking out against the countless shootings of blacks in the streets.
1: We're talking about thousands of young folks, of older folks, of white folks, black folks, Somali folks, people of all intergenerational and ethnic backgrounds coming together and recognizing like, hold on, this is a pattern. And we keep getting these reports that, you know, Minneapolis is one of the top cities to live in, but yet you still can't, we have people that live down the block from us that can't drive within a 10 mile radius um, without being pulled over from the cops. And now having the likelihood of maybe not walking away from those encounters or living or breathing. Something isn't wrong, and they're taking to the streets. And we've seen such a huge pushback again. Two hundred arrests in the month of July alone of protesters peacefully assembling. They're not breaking uh, Starbucks windows. They're 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 again exercising their democratic right to assert their public um, dissent, discontentment, and frustration in which our elected officials, both on a statewide, city level, national level, in which our our organizational um, leaders and advocate leaders have failed to really push the needle on police brutality or policing in our communities, and they're taken to the streets, and they're doing it in a peaceful manner. And yet to see just, what was it, a week and a half ago at the governor's mansion, um, there was an occupation in which they were just sitting there peacefully. And the police sergeant came and told them, hey, we need to clean this area up. Can you, you know, move aside? And the, the people cooperated, And yet they still um aggressively attacked these protesters and, and arrested over 70 um, folks. Actually, I don't know if you've seen the video, but the video of, of the police arresting them is just heartbreaking. You see law enforcers and in, in unnecessary like gear unnecessary gear dragging protesters by their feet women there was women there that were sexual assault survivors and that was a, a traumatizing experience to be dragged by your legs by a man for just sitting on the sidewalk um and we've seen that on the the i-94 demonstrations police shooting rubber bullets it's heartbreaking but you understand that that is their role. The role of law enforcers in a capitalist society is to protect the interests and property and capital of the capitalists and to keep all those that have not accumulated wealth, that has not accumulated capital, that has no shareholding or shareholder portfolios, to keep order and repression amongst those, the working class um, folks. And in that is the black folks. Everybody's in, in there. If you ain't part of the ruling class, then you are definitely at the hands of the mercy of the law enforcement um state or police state. Um so basically, yes, that this this repression has taken in in so many forms in Minneapolis alone. Um so many forms, and you see the cooperation between all the other different um, state players, between the city of Minneapolis, between, like I said, child welfare services, between private companies and enterprises, property development associations. You see it how all of them, which again ties to protecting the interests and needs of the ruling class, of the 1%, of the capitalists, the wealthy folks, like how they all play a role in repressing um... the voices and the resistance and the frustration of working class people that's tired of living in conditions of poverty, concentrated poverty, um, limited um, and inadequate health care. Um, and then on top of that, you want to throw a terrorist police state on top? No, nah, no. Nah. So yeah, it's 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 been crazy just within the past month alone. Um, and to think in the larger context, just five or six months earlier, we had a 18 day plus occupation of the 4th precinct that brought hundreds of members from across this city, across the actually the state, um, to really assert that we need justice for Jamar Clark. You're not going to kill another unarmed black man, and literally six months later we we have this case again, in addition to other Latino folks, Monk folks, Asian folks, that's also been killed. Um, by the police here in in other nearby suburbs. We're not even talking about those cases or native folks here as well, that stories don't get amplified. Um, so it's it's taking, yeah, the people are out there in the streets, but best believe the police are out there too, waiting for them.
0: We've been talking about this, this growth of the Black Lives Matter movement, which is inspiring, it's necessary, it's, it's how to fight and win. But at the same time that we're seeing the growth of that, we're also seeing the rise or, or the, the increase in confidence among neo-fascist groups all around the world, not just in the United States. They're becoming, as I said, more brazen, more confident. Tell me about the situation with white supremacist groups and fascists in the US.
1: Again, Minneapolis, um, as one of our, our really prominent um, civil rights leaders here by the name of Nakima Levy-Pounds, um she she calls it the Jim Crow north here um and she couldn't be more correct um what I brought up earlier about the the uh fourth precinct occupation um in north Minneapolis that happened back in De- uh late november early december during um during the occupation there was a shooting in which a group of white arm- armed men came to the protest with that intention to harm, possibly kill um peaceful protesters there. Peaceful community folks that's fighting, <laughs> not even fighting, but basically use exercising their democratic right again to express their their frustration with the with state oppression, with police oppression. Um, and these white men came to the protest and shot several folks. Almost one person was critically injured, a young black man who could have actually died. Um, and to have protesters peacefully assembling, um, not only have to face uh, violence at the hands of the the law enforcers that's trying to repress their occupation and dismantle it, then you also have other random uh, groups, white supremacist groups that can muddle their way in and also, um, suge- subject, this community to violence as well. And the sad part is there was already warnings about this. Um, I believe it was the days before the, the night before the same group of men that did the shooting, uh, released a video of them with guns in a car, um, circulating the occupation, getting out of the car, talking to members, um, or community members at the occupation, as if everything was good, like this was them getting um, kind of—I forgot what is the intel about, you know, how many people are there, what's kind of the security structure. Like they were mingling, and literally the following day, they came back and shot several people, and we—that was not massively covered. I mean, over the past months, we've had unions and corporate media come out and, and label Black Lives Matter. Um, a terrorist group. But in Minneapolis alone, when these white men came and shot members, community members, peacefully protesting, the media that followed that was not white supremacist men shot um, (laughs) uh, peaceful protesters. No, it was none of that narrative present in the media coverage. And it's been kind of hushed over the past few weeks. The trials have been ongoing for the men that um, 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 shot the protesters, but they're the scenes and the punishment in which they've gotten is just ridiculous. It's a joke. You down there almost killed people, and yet yeah, you're getting six months probation. Just like ridiculous. Like it. It goes to show on the same on par with law enforcement being able to kill um, black women and men and queer folks at will. So can um, these white vigilante groups that's also um, feeling some type of way about um, people of color and white folks. Come together in solidarity and, and asserting that this can no longer happen. They can also go into these spaces and wreak havoc and and also bring about violence on that community as well. So we saw that as a local example. Um, even in Minneapolis, the rise, um, as you mentioned, a, a confident kind of police—not police, but white vigilantes—coming into to the mix now. Um, the same with the police union here. The the union. Um, leader, union president, Bob Crow, uh, for the police federation, um, here has been repeatedly associated with several white supremacist organizations. It's no secret. He's, he's a white supremacist. He's racist. Of course he's going to have negative views about BLM. Of course he's going to have any, nothing but negative comments or, or perspectives about Anyone involved with the Black Lives Matter movement, anyone involved, even outside of Black Lives Matter, any group that's um, contesting um, their practices or the way in which they police communities of color and poor communities, he's going to have a problem with it. And, And largely, he's protected within his union as a racist, as a known racist. Our city electors, our mayor has not done anything to challenge this, and it's been publicized that he is part of a white supremacist organization. We have the union chief of the police is a known white supremacist, and yet he is not being removed by his rank-and-file members. Like, nothing is happening. He's protected within this. So we definitely have seen the rise and the the strengthening of of white vigilantes and white supremacist groups coming into spaces where community folks or protesters are um, uh, are you know, challenging the status quo, challenging police brutality, and also adding a layer of violence in those situations. But, I mean, taking it to the larger context, I mean, that's, again, you see that strength happening across the country as well. When you've been in four decades plus of neoliberal uh, policies by the progressive, and I say that very loosely, wing of... (laughs) Of governance of the capitalist state that has only provided meaning meaningless concessions. They they'll give you bathrooms, or but they won't give you a living wage. They'll um, give you a win um, for affirmative action, but at the same time, uh, condone drone-related killings of hundreds and thousands of innocent folks across the borders. Like when you have that that type of governance of the, the left that has always then strengthened the right the conservative um, wing of society to come in um and say look look what these 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 practices or policies that the left has um done it's done to nothing but further deteriorate society so then the left i mean the right becomes kind of an anti-establishment um kind of wing of governance and we're seeing that play out now with even our presidential elections the what's the sad reality of a Trump, which also he gets associated as a fascist here and as a socialist, we do not agree that he's a fascist. A fascist requires um, you having the the support of the, the left um, or progressive slate of the ruling class as well, in which Trump does not have, um, as well as a paramilitary force. Trump does not have that organized. So we don't see him as a fascist, racist, bigot, all that, yes, but he is not at the the level yet of being a fascist. But yes, he is very much a threat. But he's also very much part of the ruling class himself. And what we've been able to see him do over the course of his campaign is mobilize disaffected working class white folks that's now recognizing, man, whiteness ain't really doing much for me. My kids still earn thousands of dollars in debt from college. And when they graduate, they still are working in impoverished jobs. Actually, to think about it, I've been out of work for about a few years myself and to come to think of it, I'm, I'm confused because one day or for 30 years, we had a factory in my town and then all of a sudden that job, that factory closed down and I'm hearing that the jobs are now over in India or somewhere and I've been out of work. So now you've got working class white folks feeling the pressure. And what Trump is, that, and pressures that's been caused by our neoliberal um, governance, our Clintons, <laughs> our our Reagans, our Obamas that have done nothing but pass policies that's further widening the wealth gap. the Or all sorts of gaps between the, the rich and the poor and the middle class and the working class. We've seen policies that's done nothing but widen that and people and Trump has been able to come into that space and say, "Oh, it's these liberals doing this. It's it's the progressive slate of the left that's that's making it so that you ain't had a job in years." Oh, and on in addition to that, it's also the Mexicans. They've been stealing your job, so we just going to build this wall. So, you know, you ain't got ain't really got to worry about them. And it's also the black people too to a lesser extent. Um so we're going to do something about them. He's able to capitalize on outdated racial, racialized rhetoric to do the bait and switch too to turn working class people against one another. It's very clear Mexicans are not at the root of the problem as to why your company uh, was in your town and all of a sudden is in India somewhere. A uh, Mexican coming to the United States looking for the same type of job opportunities in which there should be plentiful for since we are one of the largest capitalist empires here and has so much wealth we, a person that is immigrating to the states ideally should be able to find the opportunities and jobs that also um, lift themselves up out the bootstraps. So, no, it's not that person. It's not that person, but yet Trump is able to turn working class people, especially white working class people, um, against voting, well, basically voting against their own interests. They don't see when Trump also gets in office, he's going to do the same type of or enact the same type of legislation and policies that the liberal slate of governance did, that makes it so that you stay in poverty, that makes it so that your kids continuously accumulate debt de- after debt if they pursue to go into a corporatized university system um, and get an education, Um, that preserves basically um, low wages for working class people. He's going to do the same thing. It's not your brother Mexican right there, it's not your brother black person there, it's not that poor... Um, Arab person over there is not but that is the rhetoric he's using because we've had neoliberal policies for the past four decades that has failed that has deteriorated the material conditions for working class people here in the United States to the lowest degree possible and that's been able to allow um, the right to really capitalize especially the anti-establishment section of the right because that's what Trump embodies right now. He's like the baby of the GOP and Tea Party, they created this monster, <laughs> and th- he's he's able to have the strength and popularity and favorability that he does because of that. And actually, re- the reason why he's still across many polls is leading in 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 comparison to Hillary Clinton, who is the ultimate ruling class establishment corporate war monger um, um, candidate. So. Yes. anytime you have that type of space um, where material conditions for working class people has been stagnated due to neoliberalism, due to austerity measures, due to a capitalist state, (laughs) yes, the the right is always going to rise. And we see that happening now across um, Europe, Western Europe. We're seeing that happening in many countries in South America right now, like, yes. Yes, that makes sense.
0: What do you do? What, how, how are we going to win from here, from where we are right now, with the, with the economic crisis at the pointy end in the way that it is, um, with the increase in state repression, with the wars raging across the planet, with the rise of the fascist right, how do we win from here?
1: It's really not rocket science. Like, um, How do we win? We went by doing what we did in the late 90s when we had, or late 80s, sorry, 1800s, when we had the heyday of unions that were able to massively organize working class people. We have to have organized mass movements against these things, against these policies, against these different aspects of state repression. Um, that's how, even in Europe, um, people like to idealize here or re- romanticize here in, in the states. You know, you have all these social welfare amenities, as if like the government of, of European countries just came to a conclusion one day that we're going to, you know, re- redistribute wealth um, in in a more uh, equitable manner while still preserving our capitalist foundations. That was not the case. It took workers. Young folks, working class people organizing in the hundreds of thousands against austerity measures to push for um, um, education for all, to push for uh, tuition-free post-secondary education. That relied on people getting in the streets. That relied on people protesting. That relied on um, communities basically coming into city council or elected official meetings and blowing that process up. That is literally the narrative or history in which any type of gain working class folks have ever achieved happened. When we had strong mass movements that weren't all infatuated with POC only spaces and all that was not how workers in the United States got eight hour work days. That is not how it happened. So at the very basis, get out and join the movement if that's... A BLM movement, or if that's the minimum wage movement in Europe, if it's uh, against um, Islamophobia uh, matters, especially with the the country really going towards um, basically overpunishing and and generating these very destructive narratives of Arab men or Eastern folks in the across the continent. Joining movements like that, you ha- and that's where you get the experience you need. You get the experience in the struggle. You develop your analysis in the struggle. You don't do that on the sidelines, Um, reading about these things in the New York Times or listening to BCC news, BBC news. You you don't do that on the sidelines. You learn these things. You develop your analysis. You build that solidarity with your fellow working class peer in the struggle. So if that means taking a weekend now to do a phone bank for a group that's doing some really good work against um, debt kind of, um, well, yeah, debt related to to educational costs um, in your city. Do that, do that. (laughs) Go help phone bank, go help Canvas, go post posters, go um, help fundraise, throw a house party um, for your local advocacy group. Um, And also be, try to find ways to figure out how to be part of the leadership in that. Um, and, and basically making sure it stays true to working class solidarity. If you're seeing the leadership of your group or this organization getting too bureaucratic where there's more concentration of power within fewer people, challenge that because that's the reason why the left is weak as it is right now. The reason why unions aren't strong. Power has been concentrated amongst few people that's more so concerned with, um, pleasing their Democratic and, and Republican supporters in, in state office then really or being there with their fellow union brothers and sisters to organize people in the community to support their contract negotiations. And to do so, tying police brutality to those contract negotiations, tying minimum wage to those contract negotiations, tying homelessness to your contract nego- negotiations. So making sure the movements that you also are a part of that... Making sure they incorporate other community campaigns is happening right now. I mean, the minimum wage with our minimum wage movement here, we've definitely been intentional of connecting that to police brutality because when people have more wages and more discretionary income in their communities and able to put more wealth into their communities, that changed the dynamics in which policing can happen in that community. Um and also allows members of society, especially poor folks, to have more income and not have to work two to three jobs to show up to their schools and challenge administration when they're laying off thousands of teachers or when they're um, buying racist um, textbooks that tells you that slavery was a voluntary thing, that people immigrated willingly over to the United States to, to engage in slave labor. It allows parents to have more freedom and ownership of their time to do so when they have more money than having to constantly be forced into the cycle of selling their labor at exploited wages. So join movements that's interconnected with other community campaigns. And if you see it's not happening, be the charge in making sure that happens because it's going to take hundreds, if thousands of us in these organizations, in these movements, not being isolated from one another to really push the needle. Um, on on, on the change we need in our society, on really changing the material conditions in which we have to live in that has become so dire under neoliberalism, under capitalism. So really getting out and doing those basic things, like write a letter, call your, your senator. Like movements need all those things. There's different roles in which every person can play in that and we need everyone at the table. And so... If you are really passionate about harm towards cats, cool. Go show up at the next community forum for that. But when you're doing that, also point out, well, don't cats also live in communities of color? Did you know that they've been getting killed um, at will by law enforcers? Well, cats could probably have safer homes um, if their potential owners weren't getting killed in the streets um, during What were uh, peaceful engagements with uh, or cooperative interactions with law enforcers? So, tying these campaigns to other things is happening in the community. So, I would say that's my advice. Like, you have to be in the struggle. You can't build the the mass movement that you need on the sidelines or by reading of it. You have to be there. We need you there. We need you there. We need you taking care of yourself as well while you're there. So if you do need to take a break for a day or two, cool, do that. But we need people there in the movement. And that can take a variety of ways, shapes and forms of how your talents and gifts can be utilised to further strengthen and move move those movements forward.
0: That was Robin Wansley, socialist and trade union activist involved in the Black Lives Matter movement in the United States. This week's episode and part one, which was broadcast last week, are both available as podcasts on 3CR's website. And that's all we have time for today on Accent of Women. Accent of Women is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR, with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network, with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at accentofwomen at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. Thanks for tuning in to the show. I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week. Me, ripping me into Faces fear in front of me A the image of myself So I drift away
1: My blood runs deep, but for me